uh, next Sunday. You're going to hear more about what God's doing. There's a joke to be made, and I can't get it. I can't grab it right now. Okay, so here we go. Matthew 25, verse 1 through 43. I can't believe that we get the chance to wade into this passage together today. It's an amazing passage. It's a sobering passage in many ways. But for those of us who are truly saved, it's a passage that produces hope and builds great anticipation in our hearts. But before we go there, we've got to do a little work to set the context. Number one, it's very important for us to remember that any passage taken out of context is pretext. You can put that in your pipe and smoke it, as Rod would say. Number two, This trio of parables is the second set of three overlapping parables in this section of the book of Matthew. You can find the first set starting in Matthew 21, verse 28. It's the parable of the two sons, followed by the parable of the tenants, and then again followed by the parable of the wedding banquet. This second grouping of three parables actually starts in the portion of scripture that Neil taught last week. The parable of the wicked manager is the first in Matthew 24, verse 45. This parable by the author of the book of Matthew, which by the way was Matthew the disciple, was designed to intersect or to overlap with the two parables and the closing text that we're going to hit today. Regarding their interpretation, it's very important that we study today each one of these parables individually, and yet at the same time, understanding that together they give us a much deeper, much clearer picture of the overall takeaways that Jesus would have us apply to our lives today. So here's the first challenge. Would you take the closing parable in Matthew 24 along with the two that we're going to hit today, would you take those and would you take them home with you? And over the course of the next week, would you just read them? And really kind of just besides reading them to yourself, read them before God and say, God, what is it here that you would want me to apply to my life? What area of my life do I desperately need uh, the teaching that's here for us to glean in order to change me, in order to make me more like you? Next, our passage this week is similar to Matthew 24, but different in many different ways. You see, Neil's passage last week was aimed predominantly at warning us about outside influences that that would attempt to wreak havoc on the church. Our passage today focuses our attention on real dangers from within, dangers that are present within our church right now. One more thing. Today, as we're diving into this passage, I want to use one very simple applicational truth throughout our time together, and it's this. If you can write it down, it might be helpful. 
For those of us who are saved, the warnings of the Bible are designed to help us fulfill, to live out the promises of the Bible. Warnings are designed to help. It's kind of like driving your car on your favorite scenic route and you see a sign that says, caution, windy road, maximum speed, 45 miles an hour. You see the warning in and of itself isn't designed to condemn us. It's designed to help us keep all four tires on the road. And the warnings today in these parables do the same if we would accept them. Are we on the same page this morning so far? Great. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Again, it's Matthew 25. Because of the amount of scripture we're going to hit today, I'm just going to read the first 13 verses. So starting in verse 1, here we go. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others came and said, Sir, sir, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of the Lord's return. God, we are standing before you. And we just don't want to engage in anything other than uh, stepping into your holy word, your your word to us. It's it's your 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 language, your voice to us. And we just look right up to you and we say, come and teach us. Come and plow the ground of our lives so that your seeds can be planted, grow, and become everything that they've been designed by you to be. And we look to you and you alone to do that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So, here's our first point today. Number one. This parable today is going to teach us that being a candidate for God's kingdom does not necessarily mean that you're a participant in God's kingdom. Qualifying doesn't mean that you're competing. Having the gear doesn't mean that you're playing the game. Just owning running shoes does not mean that you're a long-distance runner. Or consuming large amounts of your favorite dinner does not make you Kobayashi. (laughs) In fact, I think that this guy, one of the records that he has is 58 sausages, bratwurst sausages in less than 10 minutes. It's crazy. 
Just because you have what looks good on the outside doesn't mean that you have real content on the inside. Let's go to verse 1. Matthew 25, verse 1, at that time, this basically just gives us a, a point of reference or designation in regards to where we are in the story. It's that context, again, is established back in Matthew 24. Remember that the original New Testament writings were scrolls. They had no chapter titles or verses. It all ran together. 1B, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps out and went out to meet with the bridegroom. Isn't it interesting today to see that they all look alike? They're all virgins. They all have lamps. They all go out to meet the bridegroom. And in many ways, this picture could represent to us the top of the food chain regarding the Christian community. I think it's where Jesus is actually aiming this parable. Small group, maybe you're a small group leader. You're not looking at pornography on the internet. You're a good dad or a faithful wife, faithful friend. You're pure doctrinally, equipped to give a pretty good answer to most biblical questions. You sign up at the first chance you get for a 24-7 prayer slot when they come around. I'd say that in one way or another, that describes a good portion of us in this room here today. We're real similar. The problem with this parable is that the similarities of these ten virgins end right here at the beginning. Their similarities, you see, have no power to actually save them. As early as verse 2, you see that there's some real problems that are beginning to surface. And by the time you reach verse 10, you find out that five of these seemingly exact representations of each other are ultimately shut out of God's wedding banquet, shut out of his kingdom. It's kind of scary. You see today, one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves related to this text is how in the world can I make sure that in the end, it's not me who's being left out, that in the end, I'm found to be among the wise and not among the foolish. Verse 2. Five of them were indeed foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but not, did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. And the bridegroom was long coming. The Greek here gives us a key to understanding this phrase, the foolish ones. In fact, it would be better translated, he who sees not what is proper or necessary. You see, it's really simple from this parable. See what separates the foolish from the wise. Out of these ten virgins, five had long vision. Five didn't. Five had rightly perceived the visitation of Jesus as the most important event in their lives, and five didn't. Five were prepared for that visitation, and five weren't. The family today, if we look at this passage as purely something that needs to be explained and understood, we miss the intent of the author entirely. The passage, the passage represents a reality that's present in this room right now. In this room, there are prospects for God's kingdom, and there are possessors of God's kingdom. 
There are professors of God's kingdom and there are possessors of God's kingdom. Who are you? You see, one of the main characteristics according to this parable of a truly saved man or woman is living in a way that best prepares you for the unexpected return of God. Living in such a way where you would welcome Jesus showing up at any time in any place. Now, my wife and I, Allie, and our two boys love having people over to our house. It's, it's one of the things that we delight in most. But what you don't know is the hour before they arrive, we're like running around like crazy trying to get things ready. I mean, there's vacuums that are going. Kids are throwing toys down in the basement. We're trying to scrub up the dust bunnies. We're, we're washing dishes. And let me just tell you, that is not what this text is suggesting in regards to a good plan for getting ready for Jesus' second coming. <laughs> you see, because guess what? We don't have a clue when he's going to arrive. And it's going to be a total embarrassment or it's going to be a great surprise. So a good question for us today is, is what you're doing, is what we're doing when no one else is watching behind closed doors something that you would want Jesus to see? Or is it something that you need to lay down today before God? Let's go back to the text. Verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins, they woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. What's this parable at this point teaching us? Number one, a Christ follower can't share the result of his good life with someone who's lacking. The grace and mercy, grace and mercy from God is poured out on individuals. It's the personal responsibility of each person to receive that and then live in it. It's like my grandmother who prayed for me and stood with me as, a, as I navigated through a horrible time as a teenager. She was able to pray for me, but she couldn't save me. There's only Jesus who could have saved me, who did save me during that time. You see, the five in this parable that were wise are not being unkind. In this parable, they just didn't have anything that they could give. When the Son of Man finally returns, he marks, you see, the end of an era. It's the era of grace, and it's over, and there will be no more that's offered in his time. When the foolish versions asked for help, there was no more to be offered. But today, let me tell you, there's hope and there's, there's an opportunity to be saved. Jesus, God himself, is saying to us today, come, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you'll have, you who have no money, come, buy and eat. 
Why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what will not satisfy? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he'll have mercy on them. Turn to our God and he'll freely pardon. Second Corinthians 6 says this, In the time of my favor, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now, right now, is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Today, some of you could, this could be your day where you go from lost, unwise, to beginning to walk a path of wisdom before God. I'm going to pray in just a few minutes and I just want to invite you if today you want to pray not just a prayer of salvation but a prayer that would be an open door to surrendering your life and following Christ and being found among the ones that are wise when he returns. I just want you to just consider Jesus in the New Testament speaks another parable. It's a parable about a tower said the builder, the wise builder, considered the cost before he began building. Today, God would have you consider the cost of giving your life entirely to him. You'll have an opportunity to do that in just a minute. Let's finish with verse 12. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in and with him to the wedding banquet. So let this sink in. And the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir! They said, open the door for us, please. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Right now, every eye closed. Um, God is just so, your word is just so amazing. And it's just so great as we have a 10,000 foot view of what it means to be saved. Really, you can prick our hearts, but you will not only be with us in this moment, but you'll be with us for a whole lifetime as we seek to faithfully prepare ourselves for a day which will come where you'll return. This morning, without anybody looking, if you would like to be, start your journey, or if you're looking at your life and saying, maybe I thought I had started, but I now know that I haven't, today can be your beginning point. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. And that's your beginning point. That's the, the starting gates. That's, that's where God comes and fills you. You receive the mercy that was offered as a result of his death for your sins on the cross and his resurrection. And then his Holy Spirit comes and fills you and helps you live a life of preparing for his return. With nobody looking, if that's you this morning, I want you to just raise your hand. Nobody will see you. I just want you to identify yourself. 
praise you. So for this small handful, Lord, they uh, are considering the cost and they're wanting to offer their lives entirely to you. You don't need to repeat this after me, but you can pray it under your breath. Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And I'm lost without you. I receive your sacrifice on the cross. I receive it as my own. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Come now and break the power that sin has over me. Deliver me. Make me a part of your family. Where I've been foolish, make me wise. Where I've been desperate and broken, raise me up and heal me. I ask you to fill me now with the Holy Spirit and cause me to live for you for the rest of my life. And Jesus, I pray for these men and women right now who have just prayed this prayer, who are just starting their journey. Thank you for this parable, Lord. Thank you for the the step that they've taken. Protect them in every way in the name of Jesus. Your scripture in the Old Testament says that one can send a thousand to flight. We pray together that you would protect them from all demonic forces in Jesus' name and that you would establish them in you. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, can we all just take a big uh, gulp of air together? Thank you. Okay, we're moving on to the second parable now. Here we go. I'm going to read it. Again, the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. Verse 15. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gave five, gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. Well done, he said. Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said. You had trusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. The master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked and lazy servant, so you know that I harvest where I have not sown, gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take that talent from him. I just don't want to read this and just 
this is like a, a, a reality and it's heartbreaking. And I'm just not going to take it lightly or trite, but I'm going to read it because it's our passage. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he who has, an, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I just sense conflict. Uh, uh, just with even being able to read that in here. Jesus, help us understand it. My second point today is this. Genuinely knowing, genuinely being saved by God means that we totally commit to investing our lives in things that directly benefit God. We invest ourselves in that which interests God, the master's agenda. God makes deposits in us, and part of being saved is that we go and invest those deposits. As we start this second parable, verse 14, look at it real closely. Isn't it interesting? As the parable begins to unfold, everyone, all three of the servants, receive talents You see, in this parable, it's both the saved and those who are ultimately lost who receive gifts. There's no way around it. You see, everyone, all of mankind is given an opportunity to serve God. Of course, it's an an opportunity that's impossible outside of having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. But nonetheless, it's an opportunity. He's a kind and gracious God, isn't he? giving opportunity even to those he knows ultimately will reject him. So let's begin to apply this principle, this this parable to our own lives today. First, it's really important for us as a family to understand that just because we have things in our lives that were created by a good God, maybe a, a heart that longs to comfort, the ability to love, mercy, or Uh, discernment or the ability to teach and admonish. All of those are good investments by God. But let's not mistake today the presence of talent for the presence of God himself. Talents were never designed to be considered watertight indicators that were saved. Also from these first few verses, we can see the type of investment that the master wants all of us to make. You see, they all benefit him, every one of them. And it does not include talents that are buried in the earth, verse 18, buried only in your business, buried only in your family, buried entirely in yourself. You see, those can be investments that with no thought of the master. Another nuance from the text. What is the first indicator that the servants in this parable are heading in the right direction after receiving their master's investment, verse 16 and 17. They went out, what? Immediately and began investing. Not waiting till tomorrow. The master's priorities immediately became their priorities. God help me with that. Verse 19, we gotta keep on moving. 
after a long time, we've heard that before. Actually, if you look at, this is the third of the three parables. Again, Neil covered one last week. That phrase is in all three. The master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Anytime you see a reoccurring phrase like this in the scripture, it's an indicator that the author is hitting home a point. For readers 2,000 years ago, it was there's going to be a long time before Christ returns. That might be true for us also. But let me tell you, there's an overarching theme in this portion of Scripture all through the New Testament that actually trumps that reality. And it's this. Long wait or short wait cataclysmic world events or relative peace. It does not matter in Christ's perspective. His call in these first two parables is to be ready and to invest wisely regardless. Let's take a deeper look at the rest of the the parable and how it finishes. Verse 20, the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained Five more. I think this is the way that life is supposed to be, really. Instead of uh, being having dread, we're supposed to be living with excitement and anticipation for what the master will say when we actually see him for the first time. Today, can you imagine him coming and saying this to you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Even faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge with, of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You see, isn't it really worth it? In this short life, choosing to live as a servant, you don't own your business, he does. But look at what's received as a result. Number one, every one of the two servants, they received praise from God. He says, well done. Good and faithful servant. Number two, they receive an unbelievable promise. He says, you've been faithful with a little. I'll now set you over much. Number three, they receive glory. The master says, enter into the joy of your Lord. In essence, he says, as partakers of my nature on earth, you'll be partakers of my glory in heaven. Or the joy, the happiness that dwells in me shall also be given to you. You see, if you sow in the Spirit, Galatians 5 proves itself out to be true. You'll reap eternal life. John 15, if you abide in me, Jesus says, you will bear much fruit for it's to the Father's glory. But this text here, this parable, also forces us to look at the other option. Verse 24. And the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you, as Master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. You see, darkened living and darkened choices perpetuate darkened thinking regarding God himself. The more we choose to run away from God, the more our hearts become despondent to God, callous to God. There's fruit that's reaped, both positive and negative, in regards to our chasing after God or our running away from Him. 
I see it all the time as I meet with people in my office. Often the, the ones who are most confused about God are the ones who are least willing to change the way that they live in order to find God. And look at God's response. Scary, but reality. So you knew where I harvest, if sown, gather where I have not scattered seed, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. However, whoever does not have even what he does have will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so hold on just for a moment. Remember that application principle that I started with. That the warnings of Scripture are designed by God to help those who are followers of Jesus Christ stay on the road. If you're a transformed follower of Jesus Christ this morning, don't be concerned by some crazy notion that Jesus is going to take away your salvation. Do nothing more in this moment than commit your heart today, tomorrow, next month, next year, to following Him with everything that you are, and then rest. Seek Him and rest. Prepare moment by moment for His return. Turn away from the things that are a ripoff that would be embarrassing for him to come back to and rest. Go and invest yourself entirely in, in the things that he's placed in you that need to be invested and rest. Let him produce that fruit out of you. Don't, don't strive and, and work hard and try to prove yourself to God or, or somehow prove that you're worthy of being saved. He's already determined that. He died for you already. You are, you are saved ones if you've received him and if you're following after him. Just continue to follow and rest. But today, if you don't know him, you have a chance to turn and commit your heart to him. Make yourself a servant of him, his. Devote your life entirely to him. He's not a hard and, and aggressive fault-finding God. He's kind and compassionate. And he'll help you find him if you seek after him. You see, that small investment, according to this second parable, the investment of your life, will yield in huge ways, both in this life and the life to come. Here's our last point today. We cannot be lovers of God if we're not loving, meeting the needs, and taking care of the least. I'm going to do something different this morning um, in deference to God. Would you mind standing again? I'm just going to read this last, this closing portion of our scripture with us standing. I like what Rod regularly says. He says, you don't have to stand for my words, but please stand for God's word. Here we go together.
when the Son of Man comes in His glory and the angels with Him, He'll sit on His throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before Him and He'll separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, hear him say to you, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when did you see, when did we see you hungry? or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you. And he will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for me, or the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous, the righteous, the righteous, to eternal life. Have a seat quietly, would you? I got to this point um, with this passage uh, and I, I just don't know what else there is to say. This last portion of our passage isn't a parable to untangle. It's a glimpse into our future, a snapshot, a gift, so that we might be able to truly see what will occur in the last days. And you see the whole of our text today from beginning to end narrows its focus slowly but surely until it shines right on this reality. We started today with ten virgins all looking the same. We left with the reality that being saved means we must prepare ourselves for His coming. We continued with three servants all receiving talents and we left with the reality that being saved means that we invest ourselves and all that God gives us towards a life that advances his kingdom. Are you ready to try? And finally, to the hurting, the impoverished, the orphan, the needy that he's sending us out. It's not just investing monetarily or our possessions. It's our vesting our very lives in people who are needy and hurting. It's, it's actually taking care of them as if it's Jesus coming to your door and asking for a place to stay or Jesus in a prison cell waiting 
or Jesus who's hungry. We would look at him and say, everything I have is yours. And that's what he wants us to do for the hurting of the earth. And in living in this way, we'll prove ourselves to be sons and daughters of the light. And we'll be welcomed into our master's happiness, his kingdom. But again today, if we choose to reject God as our master, we're choosing another master altogether. And in doing so, choosing to spend eternity in a place that was never designed for those of us who bear God's image. So today is a great day of celebration for the sons and daughters of God and a great day of decision for those of us who have yet to decide. Today, the communion tables are set up here and they're open for anyone who's a transformed follower of Jesus Christ. But we also want to open them today for anyone today who gave their life for the first time to Jesus. You see, we're all equal in this thing regardless of whether we've been running for decades or whether we're just beginning our run. It's all Jesus who works in us. So if today is your day of salvation, you come forward. You see, this isn't just bread and juice. It represents the body, the broken body of Jesus himself and the blood that was spilt for us. It was a death that was required so that our sins wouldn't be held against us. And we come and we just celebrate that gift. Maybe some of you today want to come to the communion table and just recommit your lives to God. It's just between you and Him. It's between you and Him and the text. You come and bow down and and you can kneel in the back here if you want to and, and just talk to Him and just say, this is where my heart has been. Just be honest with Him. That's where He's had me this last week. There have been many times that I've stopped and said, I certainly wouldn't want you returning right now with that thought in my mind, or it's caused me to humble myself and seek him. Maybe that's you too today. Maybe you'd come forward and do the same. Don't get caught up in the the Christian community. Don't, Don't separate yourself and say, I will go after God and I will be found among the wise. Pray with me. What a song it'll be when we sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O my soul, rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. Let it be a sweet song in your ear, and it'll be the redeemed, (laughs) the sheep, those who literally are tasting for the first time the inheritance that you really will give as big as the world is and and as big as it pushes against the realities of your word and the realities of your presence. We say today we believe it. We're going to push all our chips to that side of the table. We're going to go your way. And we can't wait for you to return. And so... Here we are, Lord, in the most humble of places, fluorescent lights, reflective surfaces, and basketball nets hanging up in the air. We want to use this place as a place to bow down before you and worship you. It's it's in some ways like a, a, a humble place, like a manger. We choose to use this building, but we choose to be the building of God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The communion tables are open. Come as you will.